And I don't, Outstanding. If that's, if that's like hitting his... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validator teams. And uh, tonight, well, tonight we were supposed to have uh, Code Hands from Kajira. Code Hands, Super Hands. Uh, appropriately uh, given his nickname, he rugged us. So, uh, which anybody who's familiar with Peep Show will recognize the pattern of behavior. I don't think it was cocaine related. Um, so to be fair we weren't entirely well i mean we were rugged but i mean he's he's made a decision to spend time with his wife who had made a booking which i think is perfectly um fair happy wife happy life happy wife happy life is the most boomerish thing you can say man (laughs) that is is like i got you like zia's Fuck the wife. Well, I'm not crypto. A, just I'm crypto. Not I'm not a Z. That's that's Callum. Come on. But I got I got married young, and so that was like suddenly old men in the pub were were just giving me boomer advice all the time. There's like oh they see the rain, and they're like they're like oh you married long son, and you're like uh, and then yeah, just be, they always say happy wife, happy wife. Are you married? Is your wife happy? <laughs> Do you give her the the jolly rogering? <laughs> that's, 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 that is basically what happens in England. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Jolly Rogering. Uh, so, are you Jolly saying that Rogering. guys it's would see like, your your ring and then they would pick up on you because you had a ring? Is that what you're saying? They're flirting with you? No, no it's, it's more like. So, uh, I live in the north of England where people will just talk to you in a way that people don't in the south of England. Um, and in that period of my life, I spent quite a lot of time drinking random pubs in the hills because of reasons mainly hiking cycling also going drinking on the train there's a lot of there's a lot of things in north of england involved taking a train somewhere and drinking at all the places you can stop on the way is this where you've developed your affinity for trains i've always you you feel so at home on a train i've always been a fan of trains but obviously the station pub is an institution that has largely died off in some parts of the country, but is still going strong in uh, in parts of the north of England, where there's a pub on the platform. So, so like, oh, right, okay, we can talk Cosmos in a minute. I'll break it down for you. I don't think I've ever experienced a station pub. Right, so a station I pub. I haven't, yeah. A station pub is we have the ticket office, and then attached to the ticket office, there's a pub. So if you have a train line, you could and it has many stops especially like a rural one where maybe the train is every hour or so you can take a train buy a ticket to like the terminus and then get off at every pub every station sorry well it may as well be the pub who gives a fuck right you get off at every station go to the station pub have a pint takes about 45 minutes whatever just take your time and then you get back on the train go to the next station get off have another pint at the pub and then and, and you know these these it's these quite these quite small rural places quite often. So you you, you just get chat, you get chat to the people there because they're just like, oh, what are you doing? You go go to a few of the pubs online. You're like, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, you you young guy, you married? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, well, you know, say happy happy wife, happy life. And you're like, ah, oh, we're having fun, man. We're having fun. Man. <laughs> Why'd you bring that up? So so <laughs> what was what we're saying is, 
So basically people are going for a pub crawl on the train. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, exactly. and people from the local communities are going to the, uh, the train pub to uh, like the station pub to experience well, some diversity in conversation with, you know, no, they're, just, no, they're, just at, they're just at the pub having a pint. Oh, they're just at the pub because it's yeah. one of the only pubs in town at, and these small towns, right? And it's depending on which village you're in, yeah. But, and and yeah. so when you say they book a ticket to the terminus, so they're, they're like going to the end of the line, but so they're getting off the train and like spending some time at the pub and then getting back on another train or do the trains yeah, just yeah. like wait yeah. around for on, an hour? At every Cause let's say trains go through every hour or every half an hour. Yeah. You, know, you can, you can get a pint in an hour easy. Maybe even so they've just got a day ticket or... and going on a pub crawl. Yeah. You just, you because just they ain't got fucking anything else to do. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good. Like there's, there's a bunch of these in, in England where there are, there are lines that people know they can go boozing on and it's, and it's like a thing. I'm not going to lie. That sounds incredible. It's I'd be down with that. And actually, one of the first people I introduced this to was a friend of mine from Australia who didn't quite believe it was a thing. And I was like, uh, let's call him John to not talk. But I was like, come on, John, let's go. This, this is great. And he had a great time. He was like, this is amazing. More, more, more places should have train pubs. I guess you don't have train pubs in Australia, so... No, like no one really gets on the train in Australia because it's shit. And we got like that one train, haven't you? Well, I mean, so the the primarily in Australia, the trains are just around like the cities. So lots of people use it for that, commuting around the cities. But like country trains, there is one, but you know, the the stops are like just a box. (laughs) You know, it's not like a place it's just a box with a car park and you get out and you get in your car or someone picks you up and you piss off to where you're going well like it's in america like, often not even that it's just like literally like a, a a piece of raised tarmac and it's like get off or whatever. get like, off thanks yeah, fra- yeah. Fraser, colorado. Yeah. tuck and roll <laughs> tuck and roll yeah that's what i'm thinking of Fraser, colorado where you literally pull up and it's like no th- this is the stop for that place there's like one before that on that line where the this the 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 platform is really low it's like recessed into the valley because it's near the colorado river but the town is like you know like a bit higher up and there's just like a load of steps up from the platform and apparently if you walk up all the steps to the the height of the road road it's only like 50 meters or something but because of where the, the the whistle is that blows to say the train is leaving in two minutes you can't actually hear it from up on the road so people go up to the road to take a photo of the town and then the train pulls away and it's because it's america the train is every fucking day so apparently like on the reg people get out leave all their shit on their table or whatever they go up they take a photo turn around train fucks off and they're now no money like staying in this random town is like i guess it's colorado um i can't remember the name of it it's the one i think it's the stop before fraser colorado some uh, that's a, i don't know i don't really know the trains in the states very much i mean all i've heard about them is don't use them so that's completely <laughs> the trains are awesome they're just com- comedically slow compared to you know countries that have yeah i mean so that's the thing right so i've been i've been on one train before in the state i mean i've been on a ton because i'm i've been from portland so they have light rail and stuff but the only time i've actually used the trail to like travel between places um i learned that trains are lower priority than like commercial trains and so like there was one time where we're in the middle of the mountains and we had to get off onto a different like 
exit so that a coal train could go past. But in the time that we were here, like off on the side, the train, like the operator suddenly like hits eight hours turned over and by the union, he can't work for more than eight hours. And so we were just there for like six hours for a new crew to drive in to take us like the final 20 minutes to the train station. So after that, I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) Well, it was like literally in the mountains in the middle of winter. And it was actually like, you know, 15 miles or whatever. But it was like some absolutely ridiculous situation where they had to drive in from, you know, the other side of the state. Yeah, it's because most of the most of the cross country rail lines are still owned by the freight operators, aren't they? Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And so they have to get off of the next thing so the freight can go by. And if you're there for an hour, then suddenly their their clock ticks over and you're like, "Eh, well, I can't go anywhere. I guess we'll just (coughs) hang out. My favorite back quarter of American history is all the stuff about the railway wars where the, the freight operators were getting paid to build the railway. And so they were like sabotaging each other's railways and stuff to make them look incompetent, the federal government, so that they can get the contract to build the other railways and shit. Like it just, it just, it just sounds unbelievable, but it's totally true. Anyway. Um, well, hold on. I have one more thing to say about railways since we're talking about that. <laughs> Did you know that the railways are actually the reason why the bison almost went extinct? They were so prolific that the railways, like it, they would interrupt the timing schedules that the U.S. military was like, listen, we can't deal with this. It's open season on bison. Go have fun. Really? I That's shit you not. Shit. <laughs> and then, and then here, here's another better bit. The guy who brought bison back was actually like some footballer who just happened to like bison. And so he like created a ranch with like the last hundred bison and then they basically turned into, you know, the half a million or whatever we have now, just some f- footballer liked them and decided to, to. Wasn't that back partly how you got a lot of your wolves back as well? Cause they were largely hunted out. And then like, yes, from some people were like, had them still in some bits of the U S and they were basically just putting them in an RV, driving them across the country and then releasing them in a national park. If they got stopped, uh, that's, it's like, oh, look at all my huskies. These don't look like huskies, sir. These look like wolves. No, they're just all yeah. my huskies so, just driving across partially the country. True. Partially, partially true. However, it is true that there is not a single wolf in the U.S. that is, like, still native from, from like, lower 48. All of the wolves that we have that are in the U.S. now are actually imported from Canada. Wow. Yep, because they were completely it, brought to extinction. I thought it had been uh, the south to north, but it's north to south, is it? Yep, yep, yep. I see, we're learning, we're learning. You may not be learning about the cosmos right now, but we're learning about uh, important keystone species that keep uh, that keep us from the, uh, the impending environmental collapse that we're all going to face in a few years. Um, anyway... Our Uh-oh. viewership is down, lads. Do you think this is because we don't actually fucking talk about anything we're supposed to? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe this is why we keep getting rugged. Uh, Cause less harm says Reading Station Pub is one of the best things in Reading. Nice callback to the fact that I hate Reading. And yes, I have. Been, I've actually been sick in Reading Station Pub. That's fun fact. Okay, so yeah. let's move on, right? So, um, the fray is anything in the spreadsheet here, like? You know, is this accurate? Are these the things that we're going to talk about today? Have you looked at the spreadsheet? Yeah, we We've had follow-ups. So we had a whole well, we had a whole set of um, oh the the follow-ups. I think uh, the follow-up. Sorry, I didn't delete those from last week. Okay, okay so it's not the, the rest of it. All the questions for Code Hands. 
uh, I, I actually I put them in as placeholders, but I have actual questions on my notepad. Like I actually prepared for this, like an interviewer. Uh, I I got up early to prepare for this this morning, only to find that we had been rugged. So, I mean, <laughs> that wasn't uh, that didn't work out for me. I went back to sleep. Well, <laughs> I mean, at least you got some sleep. That's you know something. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got to be fair, we've got some guests coming up in the next few weeks who hopefully won't rug us. So I'm pretty excited about that. But so can we can we reveal our lineup, or are we too scared that we might get rugged? Will we get rugged again? These, if we reveal it, do we get rugged? Well, okay. So we're we're supposed to have uh, Ethan on in a couple of weeks. Uh, For those who don't know, Ethan Frey, the father of Cosm Wasm. Yeah, very exciting. Which is the um, first Frey? I know that he was the first Frey in the Cosmos, but how long have you been going by the Frey? Uh, That's what I want to know. I have been going. Uh, the Frey has been my handle since. I want to say 2004. So I. So you probably are the first Frey then. I'm, I might be the first Frey, but I'm not. Well, I mean, it depends what Ethan's handle was. If it had his name in it, then. Yeah, he was the first Frey in the cosmos anyway. I, 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 chose, I chose unwisely when I first. Uh, what would have been joined the Cosmos Discord or whatever, and was like, ah, I just use my regular handle. It um, is like it is a little bit inconvenient having two phrases that are both developers. It's quite confusing. It's quite easy though because you remember the one of them is actually like a quite serious, like credible developer, <laughs> and the other one's me. So that's <laughs> that's a pretty. There's a pretty easy way of remembering uh, which one's which. Like, if you're kind of just like, kind of complains a lot, shit posts on Twitter, probably me, does credible low-level work, design systems, builds teams, probably Ethan, you know, it's not too hard to, to, to work out which one's which. But, um, but yeah, so, um, so that'll be exciting. And then uh, we've got a couple of other people come on from other chains haven't we but we just need to sort out the dates so also i mean i definitely feel like actually the since since our burnout cast last week i don't know about you but i actually feel a little bit better because i spent uh, it was a bank holiday weekend here and i spent uh, a good chunk of it making drum and bass in my in my spare well spare room but where i am now and, was the burnout uh, cast last week Huh. Yeah, I know. It seems like a few weeks ago. That's burnout for you. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, I'm kind of looking at looking at what we what we're doing now and going like, fucking hell! It really is. We are really in a kind of low energy bear market situation now, aren't we? I don't know. I kind of feel a little bit rejuvenated this week. I've been, uh, you know, getting into the trawl on the chats and, you know, cranking things up again. Really yeah. need to improve my Twitter game. I don't spend enough time on Twitter, apparently. You know, you can like schedule that shit, right? My delegations are down, man. I need to get it and stir some shit up on Twitter. Maybe you should show a picture of your boner. I don't feel like I can compete with Vitalik. He's got so, quite the hog. So in the in the pre-show, uh, Noel was talking about prices being up because of Vitalik, and uh, we had to explain to Shulzy what was going on. So. Uh, the, although, yeah, the uh, the Ethereum price shooting up. Uh, v Dick, 
so I mean, the token, the token is V Dick. Pre- presumably, that's Vitalik's dick. Somebody made a token. Yes, oh, course, uh, Vitalik yeah. Big Dick Inu. <laughs> uh, um, liquidity one hundred and forty three thousand. Okay, uh, so not not great. Wow, right? I mean, that's pretty high for just some shitcoin. That's like pretty decent compared to like a lot of the Cosmos coins on Osmosis, for example. Fully diluted value, $476,000. Oh, so it's got quite a low cap then. Yeah, still half a million dollars worth of dick he's packing. Sounds like it's time to invest. <laughs> this is not financial advice, folks. Do not go and buy this. Yeah, do not go and validate that shit. Um, well, let's be fair. well, ETH is still not proof. This is how fucking out of it I am. ETH have they done the merge yet? yet? I don't know. The merge I don't, has I don't, has it? I don't pay attention. No, to that. no, no. The merge is in like two weeks or something. I feel like out of all of the Game of Nodes crew, Schultz is probably the most likely to know what is happening with ETH validators. Yeah. Are you running it? Are you going to be running on ETH? Are you running a validator? That feels like a thing you might do. It seems like something I would do. Yeah. Uh, I don't have 32 ETH to just stack on a validator. I'll be honest. Like, I'm not. I'm not that loaded. What is, is that? Is that about 50 grand? Yeah, give or take. That's about right. What was the What was the all-time high on ETH? Like, again, I'm showing how fucking stupid I am right now. But like six thousand. 6,000? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Something like that. Right, okay, so pretty hefty chunk of change then at peak. Um, but then I suppose, you know, the, the buy-in a lot of Cosmos chains over 100K, isn't it? So When I first got into validating, I wanted to be like an ETH validator and then like promptly didn't anymore. I don't know why. You got bored of waiting. It just seemed like I don't know like that there's that much value in it for a validator unless you're like a big one, right? Only really, there's thousands of them, man. There's thousands and thousands of validators. Yeah, it really seems like something where you build a name recognition and then have them delegate to you. I mean, like I'm no Kraken, right? Yeah, Yeah. like I just feel like smaller operators aren't really going to be any kind of profitable, so... Yeah, it's pretty centralized in terms of stake, isn't it? At the moment as well, like even more. Oh centered. yeah, yeah. Um, it's like one one operator controls like a few nodes, which controls like most of the network. Right. Okay. So far as I've heard, I in passing in some news that I read one day at some point. But <laughs> as a as an aside, though, that's an interesting. It, it does make you realize that you know, as we were sort of saying, oh well, actually, you know, a lot of Cosmos networks, are, the buy-in is quite high. If you Okay, nobody's got 100 grand lying around. That's the problem with a high buy-in. But hypothetically, the point, like hypothetically, a validator is supposed to self-stake their way into the set, aren't they? That's like, because you're either in or you're out, right? And you see, uh, this with, you see this with validators falling out of the set. Yeah, I don't, I don't know do that you can say it. that. I don't, I don't know that that's written anywhere, that you're supposed to buy yourself into the set. It's I think like, it's kind of take, implied. Yeah. No. Well, take yeah, only sure, for sure, example. Sure, this. Nothing. No, I'm not being crazy. I'm I'm pretty sure no, this is the intention no, that you I don't agree. Right the I just don't agree. Like, not, take- not in the cosmos. I would say not in the cosmos. However, outside of the cosmos, that is the norm. That's why it's proof of stake because your stake is on the line. Yeah. In the exactly. cosmos, I think is the only one 
that deviates from that. Yeah. That I'm so aware of. But it is also true that a lot of networks, like say Stargaze, if you were in their test nets and proved that you could run the nodes and you got all the way to mainnet, they well, it's locked, so it's not yours, but you are self-staked enough to be in the set, right? So it's not completely unheard of either for foundation-based chains to delegate their validators in the set. Regen did it too from memory. So granted like that's you do work up front for free and then you get staked into the set so that's one way of doing it and then after genesis you can stake yourself into the set which means that you're if you're staked enough to jump a few slots you're a bit more robust to delegate to you right i think i think that's the notion right but, but take take someone like oni they didn't buy themselves into a lot of sets they crowdsourced their way into a lot of sets they, yeah, sure. But they then those delegators people. could flee to another validator and only would drop out, and the remaining delegators would get slightly rugged by that. So if you have enough stake to... And there's a second point, actually, which is that if you have enough stake to get yourself into the set, again, like ignoring the fact this is a lot of money, it's difficult to do, that minimum stake... So, so we as Needlecast, we buy... Uh, to the networks we believe in, which at the moment is, is a small list, we do actually buy and we it's scattered around various places, but we do self-stake from various wallets, right? And the reason that we are even breaking even in the bear market at the moment, really, a lot of the time, is because of that, with the return on the self-stake in staking rewards, not in validator commission. And I've been thinking about this in terms of the economics of the bear market. Like, that you know, that floor of, okay, maybe 100K is like extreme, like 50K or, you know, whatever it would be on ETH2 now, right? Which is like, I've already forgotten what how much you said it was, surely, like 32 times three? What's the price of ETH right now? Uh, one and a half thousand, so it's like $50,000 buy-in. It's like $50,000. So $50,000 buy-in. If you had a $50,000 buy-in on Juno, let's say, and you bought in, you self-staked it all yourself, like, you funded it as a company. That would be enough, I think, to like at least at current inflation to actually break even and make a small profit. I would have thought so. So there is an interesting thing about the economics of it there, possibly with crowdsourcing versus actually you know, self-staking some amount. Like you, yeah, okay, it's an upfront cost, but it's. I guess, again, it depends on your, your tax regime, doesn't it? For you, Nile, it would, it would make sense, right? Because Australia, it's an asset. So you almost, as a company, buy it, put it on the imaginary shelf of my crypto, my company crypto, and then King Nodes go, well, we have in our warehouse, as you know, Australian government, we have 18,000 18, Junos or whatever, <laughs> whatever the amount is that you have to do to get in, all racked up you know, in a warehouse, as is proper with our crypto, Um looked over by top men and then that's that's how you then and then that's like a, a substantial income stream isn't it yeah well actually it's bad. funny you mentioned that because king nodes actually make more money from self-stake than what they do from delegations right so in fact exactly the same as needlecast are in the bear market which is that we make more money from our self-stake um Okay, that's really interesting. I just think that's an interesting data point. Like, obviously, you have to... The, the difficulty, I suppose, is that 
at least one of those self-state pools is earned for upfront work that was done for free ahead of time. Uh, and then, you know, when chain launches, blah, 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 blah. So it, it's like, it, it's difficult. If we had to pay a pound value to self-stake into that set, that would be more of a difficult question, I think. But it is interesting how the economics of that thrash out, I think. And it is interesting, like Shorty says, that the expectations are different in other networks. Like, um, you know, we've all been experimenting around with SWE and Aptos. SWE, is that how you pronounce it? Whatever. I call it SWE. I did until I heard him say it online. And I was like, oh, SWE it is, okay. Okay, right. You the boss. Sweet. Oh, I guess, is it from the Latin? Uh, maybe, I don't know. I guess that, would that be pronounced sweet in Latin? I think so. Aptos was... Sweet generous, right? I don't know. Aptos is a Native American word, I believe. About, oh, okay. like, it's called, like, like, the people or something, I think. Very lofty. Um, yeah, but, like, the expectation is anyway on those networks, I think. The, the, the way staking works is much closer to what Schultz is describing, right? It, it does seem like that's the case in a lot of other networks. I think for, I think that it works out for Cosmos that self-stake isn't as much of a thing because it's so extensible. I think for networks like Aptos, like Near, like Solana, it does make more sense that your self-stake needs to be higher because it's not extensible like Cosmos is, right? So you're not expected to like provide support for all these different networks in doing so. So you need to be really bought into the network in order to support it. I think from like a, like that's why, like if I had 32 ETH, I would spend up a validator because why would I spend up a validator, right? But I don't have 32 ETH. Um, similarly, if I had enough stake to, you know, do Solana, I probably would just because, well, it's going to sit there. I could stake it with someone or since I'm already an operator of validators, I might as well just operate my own validator and then get more people in and stuff. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be more the, the way things will go in future, like, the the successful networks will professionalize in that way in the sense that people who can self-stake will predominantly become validators because it's essentially like any other kind of business income stream which is as reliable as the tokenomics when averaged out over a longer period of time if the network has actual utility and the the complicated thing right now is that i'm not sure any of us would like put fifty thousand dollars or whatever against a highly speculative network that might not actually have utility yet right um and even like okay i'm not gonna name any names but there is also some networks that are coming along now that i think we're, we're all quite like behind where maybe their communication isn't good or whatever and you're kind of like you know they're, they're not main net yet or whatever and you're just like not getting any updates and things and you're like what well, they seem to have a product it seems to work but is this is this team going to make it? You know, the software might be fine. Um, so yeah, at that point, it, the the idea of self-staking with like cash money is quite a speculative investment, isn't it? Like beyond somewhat beyond speculative and into actively actively risky. <laughs> well, and what's also interesting about that is that one of the things I like about the way Cosmos does it is the fact that it's not open like that. Because if it if it did require buying in the start, that means that you would, at least for the US, you would need to come in as a certified investor, which means you need more than a million dollars or blah, 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 a couple other criteria. Um, so like I couldn't be a validator, 
right? Because I'm not technically a certified investor because I wouldn't be able to invest in these ICOs because it's illegal for me to do so if not. So I just wouldn't be able to start on these networks for buying for, for that buy-in. What do you so mean it's illegal? It one more layer. So you can't uh, buy into an ICO unless you're a sophisticated investor, is that what you're saying, in America? That is correct. Technically correct. Yes. It's like buying into... It's like investing in a private company. Technically, you aren't supposed to really do that. Or like they're not supposed to let you do it unless you're a certified investor. Like they can oh, be right. like fined. Like you couldn't go to jail for it, but they would be fined for it. I don't think it's like that in Australia. I don't think it's like that in most places. I didn't think it was like that in England either, because I remember that I remember when Stargate launched. I was talking to Meow about this, and it just seemed like loads of legal complications. I was like, "Fucking hell!" I mean, like, I'm pretty sure in England you just like fucking rock up if you've got the money, you slap it on the table, you pay your money, takes your choice, you know, no worries. And then I looked it up, and I was completely fucking wrong, completely fucking wrong, dead fucking wrong. Um, there are whole categories of investment you just can't get involved in. Um, in the in the UK, it's the same. Uh, unless you're basically a member of the ruling class, you just you're not fucking allowed. And there and, are there are like situations in Australia where you need to be a sophisticated investor. Um, you know, you have to have a certain amount of um, assets or. Uh, trading volume or trading history or something like that to be able to use certain platforms, I think, or to be able to yeah. use like futures trading or something like that. Um, yeah, exactly. There's a whole bunch of things like that. But but yeah. in the the one thing is different is in the UK. I don't think crypto is one of those things. Crypto is just seen as high risk bullshit. You know, do whatever. <laughs> no one gives a fuck about crypto. They're like, and go no, lose your money, friend. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you yeah, make some, we'll take a big chunk. Thank you. <laughs> yeah well yeah kind of i i think i think that it's it's just it, it doesn't involve um owning land or subjugating the working class in the same way that the upper class understands they're not interested in it right now um but when they realize how much money there is to be made i'm sure they will be interested in it um, well definitely the, the i think the government's view is definitely lose your money if you want but should you make a large chunk we will be knocking on your door very quickly uh, oh yeah, sure, but it's not—it's not a government. You well, at least in my. Are country, you saying not the government? The, the elite haven't found a way to oppress the working class through crypto yet. <laughs> they, well, that, no, they probably have. They probably have. Yeah, let's let's be honest. All those bitcoins floating around that are just like obviously, obviously owned by like. Okay, I'm not gonna get. Let's not even get this. <laughs> There's a reason that the richest, most powerful people in the world like are able to like. Yes, because they have a lot of money, sir. Yeah, they have a lot of money, and they hedge that. They can afford to yolo a lot of money into random speculative shit like Bitcoin early doors, and so they'll be fine. Well, FYI, the- I just did. The- I've just done a calculation. The uh, <laughs> the buy-in for Juno at the moment, the the buy-in is one hundred and fifty-seven thousand four hundred eighty-two dollars and sixty cents. And that's because uh, so Soy Two Studio said it's twenty nine k Juno for the moment lowest Juno stake now twenty nine k Juno twenty nine thousand four hundred and thirty six well thirty seven Juno to jump into the active set quite a few so all right maths boy if you if you buy in with a hundred and sixty grand that dollars right that's that, 
United dollar. States dollars, not so Kangaboo. Not dollar it is. Not dollar it is. Okay, right. Um, so if you jump in with that, what are you going to make in the next year? Uh, I, I would be pretty good at answering this if I wasn't super certain on uh, the happening or whatever that's coming, right? Yeah, that's that so with that self stake and the and the the halvening coming, I would estimate at that if the price of the token never changed, you'd be looking at probably about fifty thousand in staking rewards over the next year, given the decline in the um, you know the return from people staking. So the staking rate will keep increasing. So APR will keep decreasing, plus you've got your halvening, yeah, 30 to 50 grand in that in that window somewhere, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then deduct running costs. So if you're running on AWS a lot, <laughs> if you're running you're running a Hetzner, much more reasonable. So you can... Well, if you're running on Hetzner, your costs in the year would probably be about 30 cents. So... Yeah, so... Actually, you know what? So yeah, you no, know, I, I am wrong here, aren't I? Because, well, I mean, I'm wrong about the economics of it working out. I mean, that might be the bear market talking. Well, and I think this is the state where, if you're creating a business, then you're probably hedging your bets against multiple networks for staking, right? That's kind of what we've seen. And yeah, the buy-in might take a couple of years to, to pay it back out, but in that time, like he's assuming that the the price stays the same, right? Yeah, and that's a joint network is because you assume it's going to go up, right? So you're hitting yeah, your bets really against it going up, not against your toes and your yeah, legs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is, wood. loan shark the money, buy into a set, and you can make fifty thousand dollars, or you could be missing some arms very soon. Means Thirty thousand dollars, which me, which, what's the median salary for an engineer in the US these days? Uh, depending on experience, two hundred thousand, like <laughs> I think. How, how a much day? You'll see. I think it's one hundred fifty thousand a year. is like the median. One hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, so at the moment, being in crypto and doing that would be incredibly unprofitable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, no. I mean, if job. if you're talking about running a single node with one hundred and sixty grand of self stake, that's about one hour's work a month. Plus the um, the the drama, another thirty or forty hours a month. <laughs> I was going to say you're just not accounting for the drama. Um, <laughs> and so you could still be an engineer. You just weekend drama it on um, Juno, and uh, be an engineer during the week. Yeah, maybe this is why there's more drama at the weekend. But I mean, why? to be honest, if you're going to self stake 160 grand, just pay someone fucking five percent and don't worry about doing your node. Like, who gives a shit? five percent yeah fair enough i don't know like i think the i, I don't know the, the economics of this stuff is is i think pretty crazy and it's one of those things where you can kind of go until this stabilizes into something where you're making more in the bad times but you're making way fucking less in the good times that's going to be the sign that the the whole eco is more is actually like mature enough to make it. I think because it I just feels like I didn't I understand that at all. What was that? What you're making more in the bad times and less in the good times by self staking? Is that what you said? 
No, no, no. It's in relation right. to right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think like the maturity of the ecosystems we measured in the fact, like in the bad times, we're making more than we currently are in the bad times. But in the good times, we're making way less than we currently are. So like at the moment, you make a year's income as a business in like two months when there's a bull run. Oh, and then you have to suffer the next 10. And then the next 10 months, you're like, like, like us right now, we're losing money on some of the stuff we're running blah 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 i'll set up but also like you know <laughs> something 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 aws something something been something this, dickhead been over this, not interested but but the but the point is like even if you're running on the absolute cheapest stuff you could you wouldn't be like rolling in it right now but that those economics like portray a system that's not mature right sure i think if you're above 50 on a couple of good networks like you're still pretty comfortable as a validator at the moment if you're not running on aws (laughs) like if you're above 50 so if i look up here so even on juno right economically speaking so 220 so call it 230,000, right um juno's so 230k multiplied by we'll call it five bucks so that's a stake of 1.6 million, right? 0.05 is 80,000 times that by, we'll say an average of like 0.4. So 40%, 32 grand for a year. That's not bad money. That'll run your node. That'll make you fucking some noodles to eat. Yeah. I guess it, it all comes back to, to whether you want to do it full time as well, doesn't it? And I think maybe, I mean, but this is the conversation we were having the other week, isn't it? Like how many nodes? <laughs> Rough. Rough. <laughs> Not on AWS. <laughs> okay. uh, no, but like how, how many, how many networks should a validator validate? That was the question we were talking about the other week, right? Well, I mean, yeah. It, so how many can you comfortably do? Quite a few, I think, depending on, but, how the networks that's, run that's actually again it's like whether that is good for decentralization but also whether that's even like the because this is where cosmos is unique except maybe Polkadot, but even then i think unique in the sense of if you know how to run cosmos nodes you can run a lot of networks oh for sure and and, and pretty cost effectively the only ecosystem where that's true where you can horizontally scale your operation as a validator quite easily but that feels like it's not the intention of the original. <laughs> well, but then but then interchange security. So it is kind of the intention of the authors of the software, right? Which is weird to me because it's, again, it's just consolidation of power in the hands of a few people. I mean, it doesn't feel like that in a bear market because what power? Um, but, but you know what I mean? Like in the good times, like that, if you were, if you were getting up on networks now and able to suck up the L, you would... You know, if every Cosmos chain is lifted by a new bull run in a year, let's say, and you could eat the loss until then as a new node operator, but you just like, like, like your maths now, let's say get into the uh, 75th, 70th percentile, let's say, 75th slot on a bunch of networks, that's got to be profitable. I think in the even, long run, even, yeah. Even running a loss for a year beforehand, let's say. Well, I mean, it depends on your like as a company your your policy on how you 
manage your risk too. Like if you have, um, so say you're in a bear market, right? You're just eating the cost of running your nodes. And if you're just stacking your tokens instead of selling them, come the come the bull market, you'll be set. You can you can offload some during a, a nice bull market, and then you make your profit for the year in the in the two months of bull market, and then you're back to eating loss again for like the next ten months. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. It's just the economics of it are pretty crazy. Like if, if coming from like yeah normal software consultancy or infrastructure work or anything like that, where it's just so so clockwork predictable, like you know some of that stuff you even invoice like by bi- bi-weekly or whatever i mean you do you do okay i don't want to dox what you do now but uh day job you you invoice bi-weekly don't you monthly as a model is monthly okay my mistake but, but i mean it's another company so that company does its invoicing monthly okay but yeah i don't know it's it's it's, it's pretty strange anyway um you know what else is strange? Uh, for for those listening along in the in the chat, Null has not seen this is Spinal Tap. I'll just repeat that again. <laughs> Null has not seen the film, the iconic comedy, This is Spinal Tap. And he does Have you seen it, Chilty? I see he's, I see you smirking like you you've seen it, but have you seen it? I have seen it. I do in fact know that there's I only one place you can turn it up to eleven at. <laughs> this, this is that where that out. came from that is where that comes from yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no shit it's, it's a documentary a rockumentary if you will i'm not alone Scooby 2 studio hasn't lights, seen it either the sounds and the smells of a rock and roll band on tour the smells oh. <laughs> is that is that the description of it on like uh that's that's know? word for word the introduction yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw this um, band at the uh, Purple Banana Rock Club. Don't look for it now. It's not there anymore. And they blew me away with their passion, their energy, and their punctuality. Um, <laughs> it's just the best film ever. Are, but, are you uh, reading reviews? Are you reading like online reviews? Is that what you're doing? What, me? Yeah. No, I'm just quoting. I think it's a quote. Yeah, oh, quotes. Quotes oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know. I haven't seen it. And I also so don't like get, run around memorizing quotes. And now you get because well, no, this is the thing. You've, I I don't even know how many times I've seen that film. Like, but so also I like the original. I just watched a couple of clips earlier. That you don't watch it out of context. Watch the film. Watch the film. It's meant. It's only an hour long. It's like I mean, what long. I saw was pretty funny. I'll, I'll probably watch it after this if I can it's find it. It's literally an hour long. Just, just watch the whole thing as it's intended to be watched. Is it on YouTube? Can I watch the whole thing on YouTube? No, but it's also uh, like on. It'll be on Prime or something for like a quid. Like, give them the money. They're all still alive. Give them the money. Uh, whatever. <laughs> what the fuck is a quid? And fun fact, Christopher Guest, who plays uh, Nigel Tufnell, fans fans of source code that I've written will notice that Nigel Tufnell fe- features in my unit test from time to time. Um, he he is Christopher Guest, uh, married to Jamie Lee Curtis, weirdly. He's also the fifth Baron Guest he was a hereditary peer of the House of Lords and campaigned for Lords reform in the United Kingdom. Basically, he lived in Canada and he only came back to the UK to vote in votes that were basically abolishing hereditary peers from the House of Lords uh, because he, he was a hereditary peer, like as in his, his family had land and shit. And eventually they did get rid of hereditary peers and he's, I guess, now um, not a peer in the House of Lords, but he was just by birth, despite being like, 
a comedian. <laughs> Everything uh, you say about like fun fact about the the English politics always sounds so regal, like so polished. All his names. Oh, because like he was Lewis. yeah, he was the Baron Hayden Guest. I mean, he was a Baron. And a Baron. That, that 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 even if you're just in the House of Lords or whatever, you don't just get to be a Baron. That's not a thing. It's a, we don't have any nobility in Australia because we're all convicts. I mean, it's probably better to have no nobility. The nobility is a really bad thing to have. It really sucks. Um, um, Rama says, are you implying Nell's caravan has those smells? <laughs> I think it has the sights, the sounds, and the smells. It has this. It has a good good sights. It's got. A, it's actually got a nice view on the outside. It doesn't have any sounds, but it does have smells because my trash can is inside. So, ah. Oh. I was to say best in show should be next for you as well. That's another good film. Um, and a mighty wind. Mighty wind is also very good. If you're a fan of Spinal Tap and the work of Christopher Hayden Guest or Christopher Guest, as you should probably correctly call him, because I don't think he likes being referred to as his now defunct peer title. Um, oh, is it best in show? Is that the best name of it? Show. I think, I think it got nominated for like an Academy Award for best comedy or something like that. It's just really, really deadpan. It's about a dog show, and it's there's a bunch of actors, like quite famous actors in it, and they're all just very deadpan. Uh, like it's like the thing of you know the dog, the the owner is like the dog, and it's it's just it's very 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 dry comedy basically. I mean like, that's kind of like the mo of of mockumentaries, right? Where like they're making a bunch of jokes, but they're acting like they're not jokes. Like the show, uh, what we do in the shadows. Man, I love that, that show. Is to die yeah. for. Yeah. Man, do you know, it's actually a problem. Well, Nathan Barley. We were talking about Nathan, well, I guess Nathan Barley. Nathan Barley's not dry comedy. It's not dry. It's very over the top, isn't it? You yeah, I was watching, watching, I was watching that last night. So this is actually, Game of Nodes is becoming a problem for me in that a lot of my time now has been spent catching up on these freaking shows. So, I mean, whilst they're all quality, except for Master and Commander, it's been, um, it's been, you know, very time-consuming. Thank you. And how in the fuck am I supposed to read these books? It's all these books floating around now. Yeah, it's really inconvenient. All that learning. Uh, yeah, no, so I- completely unrelated, by the way. Uh, I'm meeting up with Rama on this next week for a beer. Doxed. Well, not really. How? Yeah. Well, now I'm we know which continent and hey? probably which part of which continent. Doesn't everybody know that he's an Aussie? You can no. tell by the times that people are awake. Not everybody <laughs> fucking stalks the times that people are awake now. Like, oh, you don't? Very, no. <laughs> I mean, not everybody's like, oh no, so and so can't be pop moss because they're awake at different times. As like, what if you just go and look on his Twitter though, and look at the country that it's registered? Oh, I mean, okay, that's just you're just quite smart. Fair enough. I just didn't think of doing that. But, um, huh. Well, I mean, I don't think it's like a metric that has to be available, but I think it's available by default when you fill it in. So, oh, Rama says you'll be on the show at some point. Will you yeah. just? Okay. <laughs> Welcome. I mean, we, we, I, mean Welcome. I think at this point, like we had Callum on, we have people who shitpost on. We've already made that. Um, yeah, we've already made that a thing, so that should be a thing. I mean, I could just send him the invite link now. <laughs> My yeah, <laughs> uh, he's like not this show, <laughs> like a show. The, the the pure business cast, which is a mixture of like trains, 
niche a niche economics of validation and then the films of christopher guest <laughs> now hold on now you can't leave out bison and wolves that's important bison and wolves hey i learned a great fact about the film heat today which i would definitely put in a pub quiz in future it is based on a true story yeah what i know we're talking about the hold on i need to make sure i know i'm thinking of the right hold on. I, right that's the reaction that's the reaction. sorry what you need to what now yeah michael mann's heat al pacino robert de niro haven't seen it basically what is that wow. a movie you're talking about I'm kind of impressed. I didn't. I had no idea that that was based on. Huh. You now hold on. Is this when you say it's based on like a true story? Do you mean like when you squint a little bit, you can kind of sort of see the right arcs, or is it actually like this so, happened and here's kind of a reenactment, but dramatic? So right? obviously, the big shootout downtown LA did not happen. You would have seen a news report, but uh, I don't know if I would say. I don't know if you can say that definitively. I mean, there's been like so many riots in LA that for the most part, shootings in LA just don't make the news. All right, actually, so, so brief, brief tangent, God, I know I'm known for this. Jeff Manor's book, A Burglar's Guide to the City, really, really interesting if you're into um, academic architecture and also criminology and the, the combination of the two of them. Um, it It's a book primarily about the way that space is subverted by criminals and it basically came off he, he writes this blog about architecture and it came off of a, an essay he wrote about how john mcclain in die hard subverts the nakatomi tower in a way that the terrorists don't expect the terrorists are used to seeing architectural space as the designers of the building intended like you you're in the public area and you look around and there's a lift and stuff and john mcclain is like no no i'll go in the air vent i'll go in the lift i'll do whatever i need to do to get around this building and so he understands more about architectural space. Rama, how's it going? Uh, Good morning. Than the terrorists understand about the space, and that's why he's able to better them. And that's all so, the introduction you're going to get, going to get, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so Jeff Manor wrote, wrote this essay, and he ties it also to the IDF's tactics in the Gaza Strip, where they specifically that uh, they literally read postmodern theory in their military academy and went, "Well, the city is a construct. We can deconstruct the city." by literally just knocking our way through walls. And then if we see a sniper at the end of the street, we'll just knock through a bunch of walls and then come up from the floor underneath them. And so he wrote about this, uh, and A.L. Wiseman, who's also a really interesting theorist in this area, um, who's also part of the Forensic, Architect uh, forensic Architecture um, group that do some really interesting art stuff around, it sounds really dark, but because it is dark, but they do um, architectural analysis and human rights watchdog stuff mixed with art. Um, uh, A.L. Wiseman's research group. Um, so them and Jeff Manor, these two sets of essays about this stuff. Anyway, so then Jeff Manor went and wrote a book which is all about criminals and the city and a lot of it focuses on L.A. because of the number of bank robberies in L.A., right? Because it's apparently the world capital for it. And at, at one point in the 90s, there was a, literally a bank really? robbery was every 45 seconds on average. It was something crazy. It was like, it's either 45 seconds or like 4 minutes 45 and the reason for it is that loads of banks in LA were built near motorway off-ramps because it's a really efficient place to put a bank to get near customers. But at right. some point, the criminals worked out, well, you can literally just drive around the orbital, come off and rob a bank and then fuck off. And um, yeah, there's this whole interesting section about how uh, LAPD tactics 
the doctrine of their police is so heavily based around helicopters for this reason. And uh, they essentially adopt tactics from the US Navy's um, helicopter carriers to actually patrol and, and cover the area that they want to, just like they were hunting for submarines and shit. Like, it's a really interesting thesis, the whole thing. Whether or not it's true or not, I don't know, but obviously the facts about the, the bank robbing and stuff are, are true. And the the two films, I think, that specifically were inspired by that period of bank robbery, robbery were Heat and um, fuck, what's the really exciting, the one with the really weird second half with um, Keanu Reeves, with the surfers. Uh, uh, I know this one. The, 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 the break, the, point? The, break, break, break point point break yeah. point break yeah, oh, yeah. Break point, yeah. so, so point, point break. break is also based on that period you know where they're knocking off smaller banks but they just do it repeatedly that's apparently like quite accurate for what was happening in that period of time um, fascinating think, I didn't know that so specifically anyway he is based on uh, there was a, a an inspector whatever the Americans call it I don't know uh, and a, a famous thief in Chicago one was knocking off banks one was trying to hunt him. The policeman spent most of his career trying to catch this guy. Um, and one night he walks in while on duty into a coffee diner and he sees the thief and he sits down at a table with him and they have a coffee and then they go different ways, they're separate ways. And so the diner scene in Heat is like the jumping off point for the entire story. But basically that police officer, after he retired, became a technical advisor to Hollywood. Michael Mann met him and they were shooting the shit on some set he was just like let me tell you a story i was chasing this guy for this many years and we sat down and had a coffee and it was super fucking intense we realized we were basically just we were really similar we would have been friends you know we just we just two different we just different size of law but like basically how yeah. have i not seen this um and Alpha so yeah Gino, that, the coffee the same dynasty and it's like that that's complete that that completely happened and so Michael Mann was like, fuck, you could write a whole film based on that. And he was like, well, let me tell you. Something like that. But obviously that, that happened in like the 50s or whatever. So it's obviously brought up to the present. But there were like, you know, obviously. So, so to confirm, they, they sat down at the coffee shop after he'd retired from the force. Or while he still so while, the force, he was still why chasing, he... while he was still chasing him. That's like some Joker and Batman type of thing. Where the Joker yeah, like gets right? Batman and is like, that's like not even the fun. Release him. Let's keep this fun going. (laughs) (laughs) So Soy2 Studio says, this is essential viewing now. I am now aware. I will watch it. I am very sorry that I haven't seen it. I feel like. Rama, what's your take on on Heat versus Point Break? There we go. Which which one's better in your opinion? I'm going to also say I don't remember seeing it. Well, Point Break's an incredible movie. I've seen Point Break. I haven't seen him. Yeah, I've got to go point break just because. Uh, wow, I feel bad for saying this. What's his name? The blonde-haired guy. I totally lost his name. But I was gonna say I watched it just for him, Patrick Swayze. That's the one. I'll watch the it just Swayze. for him. This way. He just. It's he's in it. He's right. Yeah. So he wins. Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey. Huh? Such a strange film. That entire second half, like I, I watched, I, my wife hadn't seen it, and uh, during lockdown, um, I showed it to her. And he was, she was like, "It's like they had two movies they wanted to make, and they just jammed them together." And like an hour and twenty minutes in, the movie just switches. Like as in, you look down, you look up, and they've just changed the reel in the film, and it's just a different film playing, but with all the same actors. Well, and there's like really poor, like editing across it. Like suddenly. There are entire subjects that change. I can't remember them offhand, but like 
it is not a clean cut. Suddenly they're like, like, I think he doesn't have a girlfriend anymore, or maybe his girlfriend, something happens with her. Like, it's so bizarre. Yeah, it's a pretty weird film. Um, Heat is obviously demonstrably the better piece of work, but Point Break is probably more fun on balance. I yeah, I think that... objectively Heat's better, but subjectively, I like Point Break more. Guys, yeah. this this is not looking Heat's good for our more. notes. So far, I have Spinal Tap, Best in Show, Heat, Point Break. <laughs> We're good. That's absolutely nothing to do with what we do this for. Anyway, so... Hey, yeah. we brought up Rama. Rama's like, you know, recently, when I say recently, I mean recently that I've been seeing him actually in the last few months. Um, I'm sure he's been around longer, but that's I've, I've noticed Rama in the last few months, I guess you would say, on the Twitterverse. And um, quite active in the, in like, you know, the DPS scene. Um, not so much validating, but... Um, so you just say DPS scene. Yeah, there's a whole scene now in Cosmos. It's the Cosmos DPS scene, hashtag. Um, so, man, it's, it's cool to have you up here. Uh, and I know it's it's morning there for you as well. It's 8 o'clock. So usually, like, you don't, you don't usually show up at the stream till about 8 o'clock because, I don't know, family and stuff or whatever, but also yep. 7 o'clock's early for some people. Yeah, so I'm normally up like 6, 6.30. I've got a, a wife and a two-year-old daughter. Two-year-old daughter normally wakes me up around 6, 6.30. So uh, normally spend the morning with her and uh, she normally heads out the door for daycare around 7.30. That's why I normally miss the first half hour or so. I um, have a two-year-old just... daughter named Cosmos Nodes. They they wake me up early and I spend the first part of the morning with them. It's very sweet. Sorry. It's nice you have a good deal with them on Thursdays that they don't bother you. That's I don't get yeah. that deal. Mine's to be fair, I've been up days since a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's why I miss the show because uh, I just you know, I spend the morning with her rather than just being on my phone most of the time. Yeah, but you still always show up, so we appreciate that. You're yeah, if one you of our six regular hour, viewers. I could make the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> so I think so. Our regular viewers are. Um, Rama, Soy to Studio, Callum most of the time, Partial Match, Idols. That's, I think that's like usually the people I see in the chat. Oh, um, Coin Waters, definitely. Yeah, pretty. The, the regular crew's here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for regularly watching us. I know we talk a lot about a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the regular crew get to find out that Rama's actually a real person and get doxxed and not some criminal syndicate mastermind. Well, to be fair, I don't think you're really doxxed, only really doxxed as a real person. Uh, yeah, as a face. Yeah. And the CEO of Raccoons. Yeah, the CEO uh, of Raccoons. Chief, chief technical officer, yeah. yeah. Not a real be title. The chief DPS officer of Raccoons. I, I, I think that would definitely be Robbo. Uh, I, I don't create drama with the Raccoons. I oh, man has a propensity for creating drama for sure. Uh, so tell us has there been like what's what's been the main this week's like drama actually would it be 76 or was that last week uh 76 is done so i don't think that's a big drama thing at the moment uh, fuck it was though it was it was the drama yeah that was that was great uh, honestly like i think the initial drama was probably a bit 
uh, around the way that uh, it was initially like publicized to the community. There was like, uh, instead of saying this proposal is just bad, it was this proposal is bad and the proposer is worse, um, which is, you know, I, I try not to, uh, you know, attack individuals about proposals. Uh, I myself have been attacked about proposals. That's just how it goes, right? It's uh, similar with like the gelato situation, right? Like when they asked for incentives, I was like, let's not attack the proposal. Let's just base the proposal on its merit, which is I don't think that they have a product that warrants incentives and that's enough for a no vote, right? Same thing with 76. Uh, is 5% the right number? Probably not. Um, did they go about it the right way? Probably not. So it's a no vote, right? There's sufficient enough there to judge the proposal. We don't need to go on this, uh, you know, week-long argument about the proposer and, you know, 100% commission and all this stuff. Let's just say we have enough information to vote it down, so let's vote it down and move on. Totally agree, man. I think I made a tweet this week about, you know, my my love and hate of governments in that, you know, I love that people have opinions and that people have different opinions. Um but I hate like, and I don't mind healthy debate as well. Like, you know, considered healthy debate. But oh my god, coming. I absolutely hate it when people go on a rampage on social media and try and stuff their opinion down everybody's throat, and try to like slide into DMs and try to get people to sway their their vote. It's so annoying. Um, and I, I think completely unnecessary. I think say your piece and get out. But, um, yeah, I think the discussion was really good. Um, like uh, probably after the third day, there was some really good constructive discussion. Like uh, Don uh, and I had a bit of a spaces where we just kind of debated back and forth, you know, whether 5% or, or 1% is the right number or should it be 10%. I think that stuff's really healthy just to kind of discuss and, and uh, you know, uh, throw out different ideas and, and potential ways that you could improve the current system. So um, on, on 76, so... You know, on this podcast, maybe not everybody knows what the hell we're talking about. So do you just want to give us like a bit of a rundown on what the proposal was and why people were upset? Yeah, so there's a new validator or VC that's entered the ecosystem not relatively recently, over the last few months. Um, they, NASDAQ BTC, they validate a number of chains. Uh, from what I can see, and I can't confirm it because the wallet IDs are not linked, Every chain that they validate on, they've been putting the proposal up uh, on that chain to increase minimum commission to 5%. Uh, they came to the hub, did the same thing, um, and the, the argument is that 0% commission validators provide little value and aren't incentivized to uh, be innovative to get delegations, and they don't participate, participate in governance. Uh, as a general rule, I would agree. <laughs> um uh, and their proposal was to increase it to 5%. That's the exact same template as on Carver, as an example. They also validate on Carver um, and another of other, a number of other chains they validate on have the same proposals. They all got rejected. But uh, this isn't something that they've just come to the hub and done. Um, it seems like it's a model that they're trying to introduce across the board and um, they haven't communicated it with anyone, hasn't been on the Cosmos forum, uh, et cetera. So, um, they run a 100% commission validator. So when you kind of put this stuff on chain and say, hey, increase it 5%, obviously people are going to look at that and just attack that as a, a thing, right? Because uh, you're saying to increase it to 5%, you're running 100%. You know, what's the benefit to the ecosystem? And um, why would anyone before that, when you, you haven't discussed it, there's, uh, there's nothing that 
you haven't shown any evidence that it will increase increase decentralization or increase uh, uh, activity within the validator set to you know promote more delegations and stuff. That is kind of baffling that they have a hundred percent validator and and are well, putting up a proposal for a minimum. What is all self? But what if it's all self staked? It is all self staked. Yeah. So for me, the and this is the discussion and part of the discussion, right? For me, if someone runs a hundred percent commission and you're sitting at one hundred and fifty in the, the the validator set, and it's all self state, go for it. Like you, you're not. There's nothing scary about that. I don't um, have a problem with that at all, to be honest. Yeah. And then there's the discussion of uh, should we run a hundred percent or should there be like a ninety nine percent? And if you choose to run a hundred percent then like 0.5% of that goes to the community pool. Why though? I, I don't understand why. Yeah, that- why? Because it, because it will, so there, the argument there is that we need to promote decentralization, right? By running a 100% commission, you're, you can self-stake 5 million and go towards the top of the set and then say Binance and Coinbase, if we get another three central exchanges doing that, they have enough vote power to stop the network. Yeah, but I mean, right. they've so bought the token. Basically, so, yeah, so, so and, and that's the whole thing, right? The free market, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, but let's take it, let's take a cut back off them. So then they're not just con- continuously compounding these huge amounts of stake weight and we can actually get a little bit back to do something with it in the community pool. This was just a random idea that someone threw out, by the way. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if that's, if that's an opinion that they have, then that should be, it's, it's, all in or none in, in my opinion. If you're going to do that to someone who's self-staking a lot, everyone should get that tax and do whatever with it. So, yeah, it's, and, that, and that could you be a can't whole penalize thing, people right? for investing in an ecosystem. You know, yeah. and it's the same thing. And that's the whole thing, right? Was if we're going to have a free market, it needs to be a free market, and that's across the board. That means 100 percent, zero percent, airdrops, kickbacks, whatever you want to do, you can do it. That's what a free market is. Yeah. I mean, I don't, so I, yeah, I don't entirely understand why they do 100% validators. It doesn't really make much business sense to me if it's all self staked anyway. Like, why not let other people get in and take some of their com- as a commission? But, um, yeah, so, yeah, unless, unless they, so the only reason to have um, 100% commissions, in my opinion, is money laundering. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, if you if you have anonymous wallets that you want to get the commission off, you can create yourself a hundred percent commission um, node, and then you anonymously stake to that node, and then you get the commission off at hundred percent. So you reap the benefit of the commission without being attached to the wallet. It's money laundering one hundred and one. People, come on! I, right. So you create a you create a- another wallet. And then, so, so that, presumably, that, all your your stolen money or however you got this stuff that you want to launder is in wallets, right? So you can just stake it to yourself and take 100% commission. Then you 100% benefit from that um, from the APR without necessarily being able to be yeah. There's, there's your a trail, isn't there? Because the the validator wallet that's taking the 100% commission is attached to a piece of infrastructure that's been paid for with a credit card. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't matter, right? The fact is, is that you can't prove that they own the wallet that's staked to it. So you take a hundred percent of the the um, the return from that token, 
without being necessarily doxxed as the owner of the wallet that's right, staking. Right. So, so you're, you're right. So sorry, yeah, I misunderstood. I was like, okay, so you, you end up with the the money score free on the other side, but you're saying you're saying you anon the wallet that's doing the staking. And then you're like, oh, I'm just running a validator collecting this money. Yeah, I'm just running a validator and this idiot with all this money has staked to it and I'm taking all these APR. So say say you've like run Are a you website. You're 100% validator now. I don't have 100% validator. We are king nodes, 5% across the board. I'm just saying you seem to know a lot about 100% validation, the economics 100% validation. You know I'm the economics guy. I think about this while I'm taking a shit. Do you take a lot of shit? Sorry, that's that. I'm not implying that you have some kind of digestive tract issue that would be rude and presumptive. No, and but like, I don't know. It seems quite obvious to me that that would be a good way to, to money launder if someone was going to do that. There are, there are actually some pretty compelling, good, compelling reasons to have 100%, in my opinion. Um, one example is on Secret Network, you have the Ultra Network. And they were going to create 100% validators so that people that staked with their validator, um, they would get access to that their app, right? So like it'd be like a subscription thing. In that way, if they did 100%, then they would be able, people would be able to stake less in order to still get access, right? So they wouldn't need to stake $100. They'd only need to stake $10. And for that $10 that they have staked, they'd suddenly have access to their $15 a month app or whatever it is. I think it's a really interesting, compelling case for running validators in general, honestly, is using as some method of like subscription service or like maybe having someone as retainer. Maybe you can have someone as retainer by staking on their validator. Well, I think uh, that's so notional kind of um, does that, I think, like for networks where they provide, you know, um, dev work and relays and stuff. I think sometimes they just ask that they get a stake to um, get the commission off to help pay for it. So. Um, yeah, that's that's how it operates on kind of most chains, right? So uh, Juno and Osmo as examples, if you provide relaying service uh, or do you know development within the ecosystem, uh, the multi-sigs, whoever controls them, will uh, delegate some of the reserve fund, right? And then you can pay for that infrastructure, et cetera, via commission. That doesn't work if you run 0% commission and therefore you probably don't get uh, delegations from the foundation. The same thing will happen on the hub. I can... I haven't seen the document, but I can almost guarantee you that with the redelegation policy that will come in, uh, which I think is available tomorrow, if you run a 0% commission validator, you won't get a delegation from the Interchain Foundation because what's the point other than getting you in the active set or keeping you in the active set? The idea is to uh, help you with the funding uh, of being in the active set uh, for relaying, etc. So this has come about, right, because um, Jacob's been banging his drum for about three months on the uh icf delegations yeah 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 well very publicly for like the last month or so um which i mean that's yeah jacob jacob does that when he feels strongly about something he definitely takes it to twitter um so on the yeah i was in the research on that and like to be honest he has a very compelling argument that it should have been updated long ago and they admitted it right and it wouldn't have been updated if he probably didn't bang on the door as hard right the the research that i put into the numbers like it's millions of dollars in adam and like in, in the rewards. bull market adam yeah, in commission yeah, yeah 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 so like it's tens of millions of dollars that have gone out the door to validators 
who just sell all of their commission that have huge delegations from the Unchained Foundation, right? Which is fine. That's the validator's prerogative to sell their commission. Uh, but, you know, should we be doing that to validators who don't contribute to the network, right? It's the same thing in Juno. I would feel just as strongly in Juno if the dev fund was being uh, given to validators that provide zero value to the ecosystem. Um, we should be looking at getting that updated too. So I think it's it's great that it's being updated. Uh, from what I hear, the document's really good and it'll be really favorable for community validators, which will help a lot. So positive be interesting outcome. to see their, their policy. Um, I think there's a few updates that need to be made on the, the Juno um, delegation handbook from the dev fund um, to, you know, be, be a little bit more uh, inclusive. But, yeah, I think there's across many networks, there's like lots of improvements that can be made on that front. Um, Picky battles. That's what yeah. I'm learning very quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Rama, for uh, I know, so, I know so, that. Sorry, oh, sorry. Go, go, Frey. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, given that we're also around about one out of ten, and I'm keeping an eye on the clock as is my custom, um, we should probably actually give you a chance to show yourself, Rama, and say, like, for for those that obviously, I you know, hang out in our chat, primarily they'll know you as a shit poster on Game of Nodes, but you're you work on a number of different projects, don't you? Within the crypto yeah, ecosystem, within the, within the cosmos, and you like you you do a lot of like well, your Twitter storms involve a lot of research, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, people seem to think that I'm some underground uh, paid shill or paid fudder. Uh, the reality is, I have a nine to five that I'm a lead consultant in like a software development fund uh, fund software software development uh, firm. Was the word I wanted. Um, in, in Australia, right? So uh, I lead kind of projects from start to finish uh, and I manage a team that implement the software. Uh, that's my normal job and that's like minimum 40, 50 hours a week. Uh, I have a wife and kid that I spend time with and then I do this crypto stuff for fun on the side. Like that's that's me. Uh, all started with like on MintScan on Juno, like I could see all of the CW20s that were being created uh, on in the contract section. And I was like going and finding them and then going and finding their white papers and finding the good ones to then know like if I wanted to buy or sell the airdrop. And that's how I found like Raccoon as an example was like that research and that stuff. Uh, I found like the Primo rug super early, um, like before anyone else kind of posted it in Discord and on Twitter. Uh, and it kind of just grew from there. And that's where like the research and, you know, the efforts that I put in recently kind of all came from was uh, I had an interest in Juno and then that kind of expanded to, uh, Osmo and you know the wash trading and, and that sort of stuff it's I, I just do it because I, I want to have a better ecosystem and uh, I find it fun to kind of dive in and, and find this stuff uh, across the various ecosystems and uh, and then you know the more recent discussions around governance are a lot harder because you know I like to be very factual about stuff and you can't be factual when it's politics um, so you know that that's it that's me uh, I'm not affiliated with any project I shill raccoon a lot because uh I was like a day one investor. Like Robo and I literally founded the community uh, because we we invested in it early and we got to shill your bags, devs. man. Got to shill your bags. <laughs> um, like yeah, and you know, like I'm I'm super. The, the devs are super nice. I'm not sure if you've spoken to them, but they're they're super legit, like super genuine dudes. Um, and uh, I think they've got a cool project. It's gambling, so like I know a lot of people can't really get involved or, or you know promote it and stuff, but. Uh, at the end of the day, like they're good people, good devs, and, and that's why I promote it. But uh, in terms of affiliations, um, 
I'm, uh, I've learned a lot from like Notional. Um, I'm like in their Slack so I can see how like crypto businesses and stuff operate, uh, which is really nice. Jake was like, hey, come in, like learn from our team and, and what we do. Um, so I've been doing that for a, a little while now and like learning about the ecosystem. Um, I think uh, it'd be cool to work in crypto, but uh, the, the leap for me not being like a hardcore dev is, is pretty hard uh, because it would be all like research or, you know, um, documentation or um, that sort of stuff, which is a little bit harder to kind of get funding for than if I was just an engineer. I think my, uh, my engineering days might be a little bit beyond me, but you never know. Like I know JavaScript and I could understand and learn like Rust and stuff if I put my mind to it, I think. But it's just if I want to do that versus what I do now, which is more consulting. Yeah, I mean, for I think my first encountered you actually in one of the Telegram groups that I think Notional were in, and I I think at the time I was under the impression that you worked for Notional until you're like, no, I don't work for Notional. <laughs> no, like I'm in there and I I, I kind of help out. Like if they if they they're pretty bad at communicating, so like I just be just try and jump in there and be like, hey guys, like make sure you you follow up on this. Uh, it's mainly just about learning how crypto projects and that sort of stuff work, how crypto businesses work. Uh, what I found is there's a lot to there's a lot of improvements to be made from like what I do because my, my job is uh, like business process improvement, uh, communications, project management. So uh, all of that stuff, uh, I can see there's a lot of areas of you know consulting and, and process that can improve both the projects that we deliver uh, and the businesses that deliver those projects. So um, I think that's an area that I could look to move into uh, and just need to find out how that would operate. Um, you know, across multiple project or development teams or, or projects um, to help them improve. I think even a lot of the mature, mature, bigger maybe development teams still some over deliver and some under deliver. Let's say uh, that would be a diplomatic way of putting it. Like I think I, I think there's a big tendency towards developer anarchy. In crypto, I think, because there's basically two types of developers in crypto. I think we talked about this on a previous pod, which was just like, it's all the people who are burnouts, senior engineer burnouts like me, who end up managing, yeah, and Schultz, who end up as basically engineering managers and are like, I, I just want to code. And so mm -hmm. we're like, I think quite, there's, we're kind of, I, I, okay, I can speak for myself here. I'm a bit of a know-it-all and don't like managing and don't like being managed and so i think we have a tendency towards the like ah you get good people you just all work together it's fine we all know what we're doing it's totally fine the reality is we don't actually you do need some scaffolding but i think we're, we're quite mm -hmm. stuck in our ways about that and then the other group of people are like literally zoom or cosmosm devs like callum who are very very good but i mean i think callum's unusual probably in the uh, docs a little bit, but has has actually at least done a year of professional software development in a workplace doing a nine to five, right? Whereas I think there are quite a few devs who literally their first gig is crypto, and again, mm -hmm. uh, they're kind of wild talent, but have maybe not experienced like the sublime frustration of having to go to sprint retrospectives, you know, for a project that's two years old and has the wheels have begun to fall off and everybody wants to kill each other. And, you know, yeah. uh, like, you know, there's projects that are kind of fucked and you actually realize, oh shit, only like some attention to process is going to save this, you know, um, which is 
yeah, maybe all the maybe all the crypto projects are still too young to have to worry about that. But certainly, yeah. Sorry, I mean, to a certain amount of summary, that's kind of what happened to Cosmos originally, right? With and that's why there was like a big exodus from there. To to say to to, to break down all the drama and to <laughs> state. Yeah. It's a fair summary though, as far as I can tell. I mean, if somebody wants to come on the show and explain why that's wrong, you know. Yeah. I think and... Yeah, right, go ahead. Well, I'm saying I think that I think that Jack did that a little bit in the beginning, didn't he? We brought him on and he was like, Hold on, here's some drama to drop on you guys for a sec. The late and then he... thing? The what? Was it, he said something about the the Lake Tahoe retreat, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was part of it. Yeah. <laughs> he does not know about that. The what was the Lake Tahoe retreat? Because I don't remember. <laughs> well, no, no. He just he just said like, oh, you know, that's the Lake where it Tahoe went down. Retreat. You can write. <laughs> you can write. He, he's, I, I think his the exact thing he said was, if you were doing a book or if you're doing like a it was like a fire festival about it or you know, documentary or whatever, you would start at the Lake Tahoe retreat. Like when the we I presumably that's like the wheels have fallen off. The Lake Tahoe retreat is where we set our scene, you know, the documentary comes in, and you're like, why is everything in a mess? And then like, you know, record scratch, freeze frame, you you cut to Jack. And he goes like, I bet you're wondering how I got here. And then it kind of cuts back several years and he's like walking in for his first day at, at Tendermint or whatever. Barbara O'Reilly plays. Oh, yeah, like a flashback movie. Yeah, like the origin story. It's like, actually, you know what, it's the Wolf of Wall Street, isn't it? That's the, that's the setup, isn't it? Where it goes, from the, it goes from the end and then it goes to the back and it just cuts to his first day on Wall Street. That's actually what I've got in my head. But Yeah, how does the Wolf of Wall Street start? He's like on his way to prison, right? Or on his way out of prison? Does he just cra- does he like crash the helicopter and then it goes back to the... It's something like that, isn't it? And then, yeah, and then it, it, cut, it cuts all the way back and he's like, it's my first day on Wall Street. Um, so anyway, yeah. on, on what this podcast was going to be about... Uh, Kujira. <laughs> Defi, yeah. Even though uh, Code Hands hasn't uh, hasn't come, Super Hands. We uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Kujira anyway, because I think they've um, implemented some interesting like UI UX uh, things in the last couple of months, and also you know the the value prop on on Kujira is different to every other network. Um, and then they've got the upcoming USK for for a stable. So I don't know shit about USK, but I'm hoping someone here can like enlighten me so that you can enlighten our viewers at the same time. But starting on the UX uh, and the UI. So recently, um, probably after listening to our podcast, I would say, back to trains. <laughs> So probably after listening to our podcast, which seems to be happen, like I've noticed that all of the big changes in Kajira happen right after we say something about something we don't like on on this podcast. So I have to believe that Code Hands is a viewer and makes these changes as a direct result of our gripes. Wouldn't you agree? It might be a stretch. It might be a stretch. <laughs> in any case. 
the um so the obviously like a big conversation or not a, an ongoing conversation is the um the vp weight for a nodes right so invariably across networks the top 10 or even the top 5 have just an op amount of weight um in vp and and that is just like not great for the network in terms of um I don't want to say decentralization because I think that is just a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, but in terms of protecting the network from downtime because of networks, uh, because of operators going down, like I don't think there's a huge chance of collusion. It makes no sense. But in terms of the network going down, high VP is an issue, especially if they accidentally happen to be like in the similar regions or or in the same data center and there's outages and that type of stuff. So what um, Kujira has done is they've implemented a new staking interface where it is front and center in your face how much vote power a validator has. They don't make obvious the names of the validators and they also have a slash count now off to the left so you can see like how out of whack in the in the graph the um the vp is of the validator right and it you know color codes them in red orange green um and it's got like a equal um an equal vote uh sort of column that you can see in the background to see sort of you know if everybody was equal what it would be and then how out of whack these other ones are so um i think that's like a pretty good way to to present the case to the stakers um it might make a bit of sense to have some sort of guidance at the top like um maybe explain the red and the orange and the green um and how you can be benefited by staking to the green ones rather than the red ones however you can't actually click on the red ones and stake to them so i think the red and the orange you can't even stake to them in that particular interface. So I see Schultz, uh, you just loading it out. I can, it takes me to the, the UI that hey. I can stake to them. Oh, does it? Yeah, like the red ones. Uh, so blue. It does. Oh. I just tried it as well. That would have been super impressive. I was about to be like, he did And, and there's absolutely the no reason they can't do that, right? Like the, the red ones, they could 100% just disable the click through and or disable the stake button if they're above X percent vote power. They've, they've got the threshold. They oh, want. yeah, I can click through. Yep. I thought um, the yep. other day that I couldn't. It, it actually looks a little bit different to me today. You know what? I actually agree. I thought you couldn't either. I wonder if there's some sort of complaints or something about it. Yeah, maybe. They're probably right. Like, I don't think they have like a, a minimum commission or anything through governance that says you can or can't stake. So, I think the the UI is fantastic. I, it's the first time yeah. I saw the picture of it, but I wasn't sure what it was. This is a great example of uh, what I think a, a staking interface should look like. Uh, and I'd love to see something like this for other chains, right? Mm. Well, in fact, just so you could visually represent it. Back to this, though. I mean, it's sort of back to the the thing we were talking about with the it's either all the free for all or it's not. Yeah, there was some discussion a while ago, which I think, you know, Null was leading leading the charge on a little bit, which was, you know, if you've already got like 3% of the network, 5% of the network, should you even be able to stake that validator? And I think there's a pretty strong argument that fucking no is the answer. I, I get in trouble um, when I lead the charge on things, though. Like, I get 
passionate about things and then people undelegate from me. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but, but I looked at that and you can, I mean, it, it's not like impossible to just fucking add an anti-handler that just says, we get a TX in that says, hey, I want to stake with this validator. At the time of that block, it had more than 5% of the network and drop the TX. The error should return a Medium article on, you know, equalizing vote. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, delegator. You've tried to submit, you know, error code, error code. Please, please do some research. Sifchain does this, right? So Sifchain gives you an error if you try to delegate That's to the true. ones that have. Oh, yeah, they just changed it probably because of right. what you I think these podcast. are. Yeah, maybe watch the podcast. <laughs> exactly. And I think these are all great examples of experiments that uh, we, we do on smaller chains and then we take the good parts of those and implement them on the whole. Oh, shots fired at Sif chain. <laughs> Juno's an experiment. I say it all the time. Like experiments yeah, of. Big oof. <laughs> like, yeah. like large. That is an experiment though, right? In terms of. It's uh, more than you said. You called them a little, to, a small yeah. chain. <laughs> Everything's a small chain, mate. They're they're all small chains unless you're the hub. Oh, Juno. I, say, I thought you were going to say unless you're Juno's a small chain. Juno, Juno's the biggest experiment there is. Uh, the next one's Hua, which is just the meme experiment. So, who? That's my opinion. Hua, Hua. Oh, Wawa. Chihuahua. Hua, mate. It's Hua. Wah. Hua. <laughs> um, yeah, but we we you know that's the the cool thing, right? Is Sif Chain's you know got that uh, maximum vote power thing, and they put that in code. Uh, if that works out really well, um, use it in other chains. Uh, probably not the hub because they're they're free market types. Um, but I, I you know, love other chains that, could look to implement it, right? I love that Sif Chain was the first one to do it. I would never have thought Sif Chain would be the first one to do that. Being Sif Chain, but I just love that they just did it. It's great. Well, and like historically, Stiff Chain's foundation nodes were like what the top ten. So like it kind of flies in the face of their own foundation nodes, which is, just makes it even more funny. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like counterintuitive to the history of their node structure. But um, back on back on Kujira. So I love this interface. I wish more people would do this type of thing. What were the other? Th-